Um, we are going to be closing out our Ezekiel series today. After this service, we are all wrapped up. It's seven out of seven. And I hope you've been enjoying the series. It's been called Impossible Hope, and you're going to find out why today. Today is really going to be the, the hallmark of why we called it that. So if you have a Bible, make sure that is nearby. Make sure that you have the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. If you're watching online, make sure to fire up the app, take some notes. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of information as normally at you. And I'm going to begin with saying a phrase that if you agree with it, I want you to amen it. Now, this is, these are called suburban church hints, right? So uh, in other words, if you don't agree with it, don't amen it, right? But just know that the Lord's watching. Okay, no pressure, it's fine. Uh, so here we go. Our God is a God of rescue, amen? Yeah, okay, that's an easy one. So from the moment that he created beings, which by definition are lower than he, he has been rescuing them from danger. Danger means possibility of harm. A limited being will always have a possibility of harm because we're just not God. God is the only one that doesn't need help. He's the only one that's not in trouble. So he's always had this posture towards us of a rescuer. And I think that there's something beautiful about that relationship. Last week, Pastor Brian was citing, which can we appreciate Pastor Brian's brilliant teaching? Yeah. He's an amazing expositor. He's an amazing communicator. We are very, very lucky to have him and blessed. But just as Pastor Brian cited last week that the Bible is a big story of redeeming and restoring, so too is the Bible a record, a catalog of God rescuing his people from all sorts of issues. As a matter of fact, I'm going to highlight some that came off the top of my head when I was writing the sermon. If you're brand new to the Bible, you're going to get the gist of it. The idea is not the individual story, but the sum total of the rescue. When God was going to flush the entire world down the drain in a worldwide flood, he had to keep one family alive. How in the world are you going to do that? Well, it was through a miraculous ark story. We know it as Noah's ark, that he was able to rescue eight people through a worldwide catastrophe because God knows how to do complicated. We know that when Abraham lied about his wife and put her in danger twice, God came in as her defender, her deliverer. And as a matter of fact, he saved her by getting dreams into the enemy's sleep so that she might be protected. Abraham's cousin or nephew, Lot, made poor choices, was around poor environments, and yet we find that God rescued his family by sending literal angels to come in and take them out as fire and brimstone rained down. Joseph was, re was, was rescued by rejection from slavery, from prison, the Hebrews from Egyptian oppression, Joshua was saved from war, Gideon from insurmountable odds, Samson from a lion and from the Philistines, Ruth from poverty, David from a giant and assassination, Naaman from leprosy, the Hebrew boys from fire, Daniel from the lion's den. There have been mass healings of every sort of disease like paralysis, internal bleeding, withered hands, blindness, and deafness. There have been rescues from the demonic from one demon to legion. Understand our God is a God of rescue. And if he did it then, he can do it now, amen? What do we need to be saved from? What do we need to be rescued from? There's a bunch of stuff, right? I mean, it could be harmful people. 
in our lives. It could be addiction, bad choices, trauma, extreme poverty, disease, whatever. If you are facing something that you would deem as impossible for mankind to solve, raise your hand. Anybody facing stuff like that? Yeah, there's a lot of us, okay? So I have a story of impossible hope for you. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. There is no pit that God cannot lift us out of. There is no pit that God cannot lift us out of. And as I was praying last night with our prayer team, I had this idea pop in my head, which usually means that the Holy Spirit was trying to say something. And it was the idea of simply this. When God created us, he created us with finite minds. He created us with limited ability to imagine. In other words, you cannot even dream up a scenario that's too complicated for God. Because you don't even have the capacity, I don't have the capacity in my mind to ever even think up something he couldn't handle. That's how extraordinary our God is. He is so brilliant. He is so creative. He is so much larger than we would ever get into trouble. He can save us from anything, including ourselves. Amen? Amen. The one great enemy of mankind that the Bible is very clear about that if it's not God, it's never going to happen. And that's death. That currently in humankind, death statistics are hovering around 100%. Right? And all you little Bible nerds, well, Enoch didn't die. Elijah went in the world. Shut up. It's my analogy. Leave me alone. We have no way of stopping death. We, we spend billions and billions of dollars to try to hold it off, to try to stop it, but it keeps coming. So what's your plan? What's your plan for your afterlife? If you're not a Christian today, I have to ask you a blatant question. It's not to humiliate you. It's simply to get you thinking. If you do not know Jesus Christ right now, what is your plan? What are you going to do? You, what are you going to do after you die? you're like, well, I think that's it. And I'm telling you, it better be, right? Because if it's not, we need to have a plan. Now, as Christians, we believe that there is an afterlife, and we believe that the only one that can secure that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the only one. He's the only Savior that showed up. He's the only one that died on the cross. He's the only one that died for our sins. He's the only one that can cleanse us. He's the only one that can give us the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can make us alive. So for that reason, we rely on him totally. But what's intriguing about death is that we learned in the Garden of Eden when God scooped up dirt and made the first man. His name was Adam. When he made that man from dirt, we realized he was constructing something. If he constructed it from the ground up, from scratch, then that means he can deconstruct it and reconstruct it. If you make something from the ground up, there is nothing that could go wrong with that that you cannot repair. Because what you can do is simply deconstruct the entire thing and rebuild it. So when he made us, he has assured us that all our failure parts are already accounted for. So there is nothing broken in us that cannot be repaired by the maker. That's very important. But the big question was, since he can deconstruct and reconstruct, the question in the Old Testament was, would he ever do that? Would he ever bring somebody back from the dead? Someone that dies, their body shuts down, they're completely dead. Would he ever resurrect somebody? We find out in the Old Testament he did it three times. Elijah the prophet raised a young man from the dead. 
Elisha the prophet raised a young man from the dead. And then one super bizarre story, they threw a dead guy on Elisha's bones and he came back. That's a weird story, you should check that one out, right? But what we realize is that in that scenario, God could and God would, on occasion, bring someone back. That means the power of death has no mastery over him. He can deconstruct and reconstruct. By the time we get to the New Testament, we have Jesus. Jesus demonstrates that it's kind of a thing bringing the people back from the dead. We find out that he raises Jairus' daughter. We find out that he raises the young man from Nain that had died. We find out that he raises Lazarus from the dead. And you're like, man, a lot of people are getting up these days, right? But when he died himself and got back up, we know we're in a whole new ballgame. When you die and you can raise yourself from the dead, that is an extraordinary situation. And in order to demonstrate that, we know that when Jesus died on the cross, there was a massive earthquake, tombs opened up, and people popped out and came back to life. In other words, if he can do it once, he can do it a whole bunch of times. Amen? Now, Man, all of a sudden, he set like this whole new movement in motion. Now, Peter's raising people from the dead. Paul's raising people from the dead, right? We got Tabitha raised from the dead, Eutychus raised from the dead. We have Paul the apostle gets stoned to death. He gets back up. I mean, we have all this resurrection. If God can raise the dead, then what are you facing right now that he can't do? And I think we need to keep that in our back pocket. If God can completely deconstruct a human being and put them all back together again, what possibly could be going on in your life that is too hard for him? Nothing. We're about to study one of my favorite stories of transformation in the Bible. I got one in the New Testament, got one in the Old Testament. The New Testament one is the naked demon guy story. Love that story. In the Old Testament... It's the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. Would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37? Ezekiel 37, if you are using one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you, it's gonna be page 724, 724. If you're watching at home, there's probably not a Bible under the seat in front of you. Uh, If you're using your own Bible, go ahead and just drop it open in the middle and go to the right. Um, You're going to be jumping through a couple different books there. Remember, the Bible is a collection of 66 different books uh, all put together. They're not put together in chronological fashion, by the way, in case you're reading through it. And you're like, oh my gosh, that other guy also got up from the dead. No, it's probably just not out in order. Page 724, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read it. I find this absolutely stunning. Ezekiel said, the hand of Yahweh was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones ever live again? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. It's on a trip. Is this like God took him on like a field trip? Right? Like he actually took him to a valley with a ton of bones. Well, I sure hope not. I think this is a vision. Now, the reason why it's a slightly different vision is that mostly visions kind of play out like a movie screen in front of you, that you see a vision and stuff just happens and you observe it. In this particular situation, it's interactive. It's immersive. You're going to find out that Ezekiel 
does stuff that affects the outcome. So he is in it. He's feeling it, seeing it, smelling it. He knows all of it, and it seems real to him. And the first thing that he says is the hand of the Lord was upon me. It meant God grabbed him and took him to this valley. God didn't ask his opinion, didn't say, hey, do you want to go on a trip? He didn't say anything about, man, are you bored today? None of that. He's like, we're going. And so they went. First thing he noticed was, dang, there's a lot of bones. Like, gosh, this whole place is full of it. He's like, the fact that I can see all the bones on the surface means something terrible happened here. Why? Because he's a Jew. He's a priest. You never not bury the dead. If they are not buried, that means they are dishonored. The only reason you would ever do that is to bring something negative upon their name or if everyone dies at the same time. Something's wrong in this valley. There's all these dead people. They were once people, but now they are merely dry bones. But wow, how did we get so many of them out here? It seems like something so catastrophic had occurred, and it didn't occur just like yesterday. These bones are dry. Like, it's not like there's a bunch of recent murder or war or anything like that. Then this is a historic problem. God brings up this question. Can, can these bones ever come back to life? Why in the world would God ask mankind a question? Like, what, God doesn't know the answer? No, no, no. God always knows the answer. So why would he ask a person a question to get them involved in the process? Jesus asks questions to get people involved in the process. Too often, it is easy to live our lives as merely observers. We live our lives looking through a plexiglass window. We live our lives where we just watch God do stuff through other people. What God's trying to do is break that wall. He's trying to say, no, 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 we're going to do stuff. You're going to do stuff. I'm going to involve you in it. And I think that's really, really critical. So he asked him a question. Hey, what is your assessment of this impossible situation? Do you think I can make these bones come alive? They're really dry. Now, this is where I, my humor kicks in because I'm like, I'm like, if you, I'm like, well, if you gave me some moist bones, now that I can work with. See what I'm saying? But it has a little dangly on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like a little, little bit of chewy stuff on there. I just need, need a little cartilage and I can make something out of this, buddy. But these are dry, like, ah, chalky. These are, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this one. This is, this is dry. So, but what's great is his response. His response is interesting because he goes, God, I have no idea, but you know the answer to this. Which is really wild because I think that maybe at the beginning of Ezekiel's ministry, if God ever asked him, hey, can these dry bones live? He would go, well, that's easy. No, of course they can't. But you see, he's already seen God. He already saw heaven. When you see God and you see heaven, nothing's off the table. So there's no way he was going to say no. But he's like, I have no answer to this. So obviously you got a plan. So I'm going to go ahead and kick that right back to you. You see, because he's been changed with his walk with God, I always find it fascinating when I meet a saint who's been walking with God for decades. I can always tell. Now, what I'm not saying is people that have been Christians for decades, because quite frankly, there's a lot of those. 
A lot of people say, well, yeah, I've been going to church for most of my life. Well, I can, that's fine. You're religious for a long time. I'm not quite sure you're walking with the Lord. I think that's a very different ballgame. Calling yourself a Christian and actually being a believer that knows the Lord are actually two different things. So if, I'm, if I ever meet somebody that's been with the Lord in a knowing way for decades, I can always pick them out. And here's why. They have a little kind of almost uh, impish smile and a glimmer in their eye. And it usually ends up shimmering most when people bring drama to them. Oh my gosh, did you hear? The world's ending. Every time you meet a seasoned saint, they go, oh, is it? And they have like a little shimmer in their eye. They're like, dude, man, I've been through the end of the world like 14 times now. Nothing rocks me, man. I don't know how God's going to fix it. He always does, though. And then you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make my bills? They're like, I don't know, but my Lord has done the most weird stuff and the most impossible stuff. And so quite frankly, kid, I don't get rocked anymore. I've been with my Jesus long enough to know he's creative. And as long as he's with me, I'm okay. Right? I think that's beautiful. Pick it up in verse four. It kind of takes a weird turn. Then God said to me, you prophesy over these bones. Say to him, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Well, that's odd. I thought we were gonna be here for another demonstration of God's power. Nope, you do it. Like, I could bring them all alive. I don't wanna, you do it. That's so radical because he's engaging him into the process and he's saying, I'm gonna do something that is mind-blowing, but I'm gonna do it through you. He puts Ezekiel in the driver's seat. He demands that he do something to make the next part happen. I want you to prophesy to these bones. Now this is where people are like, "Uh, I don't mean to be a jerk, but they don't have any ears. They're not really gonna hear me, okay? So, Okay, let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, Real quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been prayed for by a weird person? Prayed for? Okay, good, fantastic. Okay, so if you're ever in a prayer meeting, there are normal people and there are weird people. Um, And so like we have worship prayer and healing night and stuff like that. So sometimes you get in a line and the person that prays for you is like calm and normal and they say things that make sense, right? You know what I'm talking about. And then there's people like me. If you get in my line, half the time you're like, I don't know what's going on, and I feel, Lord, am I to be protected from this man? I currently have a need, and I'm not sure if I'm scared of him, right? I have two needs now, Lord, right? Uh, Because what ends up happening is I start doing stuff, like I start talking to your body, right? Liver, you're like, oh, you just talked to my liver. I, I feel like that's rather intimate. I don't believe you should talk to that without my permission, right? And, and I'm start commanding, like, the, I'm like, liver be healed, you know, and, and, and it's so weird. You're like, he can't hear you. It's a liver, right? Uh, so is it really that weird? Because how did Jesus calm the wind and the waves? He shouted at them. Do they have ears? No. How did he curse the fig tree? By a word. And it shrunk. When he said, move a mountain, how did he say to do it? Speak to the mountain and say, be moved. Why? Because it's not a matter of it hearing you, it's the matter of hearing the voice of the master of all creation demanding reality be shifted. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It doesn't matter whether or not they hear, it's a moving power coming from heaven, but it happens to be coursing through a person. That's the power and authority of the name of Jesus. He's the one that made it and can remake it. So when he says something to it, it better change. So that's why you'll hear all of Jesus' healing prayers were commanding prayers. It was him commanding it in his authority, saying, you will be altered. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care whether or not you can hear me. I'm changing you. That's powerful. He said, I want you to say, prophesy over these bones. Tell the bones, hear the word of the Lord. What's intriguing is he's supposed to tell him what the Lord said, not his own opinion. I carry this because of what I do for a living. I carry this as a life challenge, a life command. That in other words, I totally believe that it is not my opinion people need to hear. It's the word of God that people need to hear. It's the word of God that changes lives, not Lance's interesting opinion. None of that changes anybody. Now, whenever I teach this passage, any other time, and I don't like repeating myself, so it took me about 10 years to settle into the fact I was doing multiple services a weekend. That is so weird to me. I hate repeating myself, right? But yet, I'm called to repeat uh, certain things, and so I don't usually reuse my material very often, but this particular story I've taught three separate times. Every time I teach it, I dial into one element of it, and that is the fact that, number one, God involves his people in the process of the miraculous, and number two, we have a responsibility to use our resources rightly, and that means your voice. God breathes through his people, therefore our words have power in them. We have power from God to speak life over people, and we also have the power to speak death. We need to be very careful as believers. Our words are very important. But God said, say to them, hear the word of the Lord. It's his ways, his powers that change things. He's the originator of all good thoughts, all good plans. I am not supposed to be as brilliant as I am obedient. Yeah? Thus says the Lord God to these bones... The words are coming through your mouth. You're laying on hands. People are getting healed. You're casting out the demon, but let's be very clear where the power is coming from. It's not you. Amen? That means all credit and all glory has to go back to God. It cannot stay with you. It's not yours, right? But it's interesting. If you continue to look at the passage, it says this. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, verse 5, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. What's so fascinating about that is that's a vision. What do I mean? I mean, bones don't have lungs. You can't fill them with breath if they don't have lungs. So he says, I'm going to create a process whereby I'm going to get you where you need to go so that you can contain what I need you to contain. You don't have it yet, but that's why I have a vision for you. I can get you where I need you to be to have what I need you to have. Today, right now, you may be facing something that God has a plan for you, but you don't even yet have the things to contain what he wants to give you. So there's going to be a process. Many times God will speak a prophetic vision to you. He will talk about what will be in the future, but it is not yet. You're not ready yet. You're in a holding pattern until he's ready. 
So there's his vision, but then notice he also has a plan. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Verse six, I will lay sinews upon you. I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will live and you will know that I am Yahweh. That's a plan. As a matter of fact, it kind of goes like this. The point isn't simply to be alive or look alive. The point is to be alive with a quality of life. So God said, listen to my plan. It's gonna begin with infrastructure. That's the bones coming together. That's the ability. Then it's gonna come with covering, which is gonna provide a security to you as I cover you with skin. Then it's gonna come the animation of you, which is your breath, that will rise into you. Then will come understanding and knowing which is an awareness, and the end result is not just a person, but a person that knows the Lord, loves the Lord, and interacts with the Lord. Most of our prayers say, God, just keep me alive, physically. But what's the point of that? More days living without Jesus doesn't matter. What we really need is to know our Lord, and if we know our Lord, whether we are in this life or the next, ultimately doesn't matter. We're always with him, and we'll never be without him. God's perspective is so different on this whole life-death thing. The goal is not to remain physically alive. The goal is to be eternally alive. That's a big deal. And the reason why I know that is he makes a lot of odd choices for our physical life. Martyrdom became something valuable. Martyrdom by nature cuts our life short here so that we might live there but have an impact here, right? So God has a very different perspective. And then I love this. Look at verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded. That's just simple obedience. I prophesied as I was commanded. It wasn't about whether or not it made sense to Ezekiel, whether it was comfortable, whether he thought it would work or not. As a matter of fact, it was just obedience. The results are up to God. He could have said, bones, live, and nothing happened. Yeah, he would have felt stupid, but it's not on him, is it? It wasn't his idea in the first place. So he can kick it back and go, God, that did not work, right? But God's allowed to make that call. Our job is just to be obedient. But notice what happened. Continue in verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound And behold, a rattling, and the bones began to come together, bone to bone. Let's pause. How many of you grew up in the church in the 70s and 80s? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, so you all know this, right? Because the hip bone is connected to the (laughs) thigh bone, right? Okay, now, every pastor known to man said that joke. It was stupid then, and it's stupid now. (laughs) And I had to hear it 32 times, so I just told it, but I blamed it on someone else. Work smarter, not harder, people. (laughs) Amen? Praise God. Let's go on. It said, he said, as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and therefore, behold, there were sinews on them, flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Almost like it was at this midpoint, God pauses, and he's saying, He's like, hey, do you see anything wrong with this scenario? And he's like, no, they look amazing. And he's like, yeah, they're not breathing. Oh, yes, that is a concern. He's like, well, you need to fix that. You gotta finish what we started. 
Well, how do I do that? Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Wow, what a visual. Hmm. Uh, To me, it worked. Why? Because God said it was gonna work. That's all. Was it impossible? Yeah, it was until God got involved. Then when God got involved, it's not impossible anymore. Then we find out really what's going on in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And you're like, oh, that's why there's so many. This is not just Israel today. This is like Israel historically as they've been failing to do what God asked them to do. They have dried up and died They are no longer useful for his work. Behold, they say to themselves, God said, meaning the Jewish people say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. And indeed, we are cut off from God. You see, they knew the depth of their devastation. And they were saying, as I see it, there is no hope. I want you to think of what they've been through. They got deported out of their land. Not only is their land reoccupied, they could never, in their new slavery mode, they could never assemble an army and go take it. They're too scattered. They've lost their city, the holy city of Jerusalem. They lost the pride of their city, the temple of God. They believe that God turned his back on them, and if God doesn't help them, nobody can help them, and they are hopelessly lost. And God said, but you're not. I can do the impossible. I can bring back hope where you have no hope because I'm in charge. He said, therefore prophesy. I want you to tell them something to change their mind. I want you to tell them a new reality. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am Yahweh when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your land. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God says, I'm on the job. I always get my job done. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix stuff. I'm going to open your graves, and I'm going to bring you out of them. In other words, I'm going to make that which is impossible possible. I'm going to bring hope where there is no hope. I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. I'm going to bring back glory to my name, and I'm going to bring my spirit back to you. Amen. 19 years earlier, Ezekiel had a vision where the Spirit of God departed from the temple, and he wondered whether or not the Holy Spirit would ever come back, because if he left, that means God left, and there was so much fear. Well, we know by history that 70 years after their deportation, a new empire had come into play. That's the Persian Empire, and King Cyrus issued a decree that they could go home. When they went home, they began to rebuild a new temple. It was not as cool as Solomon's. It was a little baby one that was kind of lame, and everybody was sad about that. 
But they had a little baby temple and Ezekiel gets to see the spirit come back. That is the fulfillment of what we're talking about here. But is it not crazy that 617 years after this occurrence came the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit went worldwide. It was fulfilled in kind here, but in full there. Incredible. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came to me again and said, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah, and then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, verse 17. Join them one to another in one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have been scattered. I'll gather them from all over the world and bring them back to their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. When we read this, we kind of go, ah, it's interesting, fact. No, 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 to the Jews this was critical because the one great travesty that happened in the nation of Israel was a split. God was never gonna bless a divided nation. It was always one nation under God, indivisible. They cannot be separated. God said only the lineage of David was gonna be blessed. That means only the South was ever gonna be legit. But the 10 Northern tribes rebelled and rejected. They had their own king. The two tribes South had their own king. It was civil war and fighting and they had all these different viewpoints going and God was saying, this is never what I wanted. King Saul, monarchy. King David, monarchy. King Solomon, monarchy, all under a united nation. But after Solomon died, it split into two and it was divided for 209 years. For 200 years, God tried to get them to become one nation again and it wasn't gonna work. But when he crushed them this far and took them out of their land, it suddenly became possible. Because when they go back, they only go back as Jews, not as Northern Jews versus Southern Jews, just Jews. And they are one people. There, is it possible that something that had schismed in your life between you and God was so radical that he needed you to come to the end of yourself so that he would remake you? because he had already tried renovation time and time again. He had already talked to you over and over. He already whispered to you, was gentle with you, told you what you needed to do, but you weren't having it. And the only way he could get you back on track was to demolish you and rebuild you. One king, I didn't know if we were doing that anymore. Hmm. Let's keep reading, verse 23. God's gonna do some spiritual restoration. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned. I will cleanse them. They shall be my people. I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd. Go to verse 27. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, that's some intense renovation. That's a rework. That's transformation. That's metamorphosis. He said, and I will win their hearts back again. They will no longer love more things than me. Because that's how it got us here. 
their selfishness, their distraction, took away their first love, and they began to fall apart. And that's how it works in our lives. When we lose our first love for God and we begin to think about the distractions of this world, when we begin to think about our selfish needs, when we begin to make our own choices, we eventually find that we have wandered so far off course. He's gonna bring him back. And when he gets back, there is so much damage. There's so much baggage. There's so many backslidings. There's so much wickedness. It had gone into habit patterns. And he said, I'm gonna get it all out. There is no stain I cannot remove. Doesn't matter where they walk, what they did. Some of them had done things that when they come back to their right mind, they're gonna be horrified about what they accomplished. And God said, I can get that out too. Understand this. There is no stain of your past God cannot wash out. He said, and they will be my people and I will be their God. And David, my king, will be king. Well, hold up. No, no, no. That guy's dead. Like, he died a long time ago. Like, how in the world, what are you going to bring him back? He's not going to look good. He was super handsome before, but mm, all that time in the dirt is going to be rough. How in the world are you going to have King David lead the Jewish people? He's gone. Then you go, okay, wait, 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 let's put on a prophetic mind, right? And what does it mean? The lineage of David, right? Because it was always tracking through the lineage of David. And you're like, oh, okay, so a new king in the lineage of David will be their king under this new united nation. Well, that's, that's really amazing. So we have the ability to look back in history and go, so how did it go? Well, interestingly, the last king of the south was Jeconiah. Jeconiah ended up having a son named Shealtiel. Shealtiel had a son by the name of Zerubbabel. All poor choices in naming. <laughs> Zerubbabel was in charge when they got back into the land, but he was, although the rightful king of Israel, he was not called a king of Israel, he was called a governor. Why? Because they weren't doing the king thing anymore. The king thing led them into bad places. They needed to be a theocracy once again. So why is God talking about a king if he wants them to be a theocracy ruled by God alone? How could he do both? Interesting, glad you asked. As a matter of fact, here's how it happened. There was no more kings. Then all of a sudden we get to the New Testament and we start reading a bunch of genealogies. You guys know those so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so It's a thing that you skip over, <laughs> that one. What's interesting is it talks about the lineage. There was a guy named Jeconiah, and Jeconiah had Shealtiel, and Shealtiel had Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, and it starts going down. It ends at a guy named Joseph. Is that important? Yeah, that was Jesus' stepdad. Who was the rightful king of Israel? Joseph. Who was his son? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The next named king of the Jews was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is the David. How do you have a king and have it ruled by God? Have the king be God. Is that not incredible? Man, I'm telling you, God is so brilliant at this. If you like to underline verses in your Bible, I want you to underline the verse Ezekiel 36, 35. 36, 35, can you turn there with me? Some of you, this is going to be your new season life verse because God is doing a new fresh thing in you. 
So I want you to underline this. For some of you, I just wanted to, if it resonates in your heart, I want you to memorize it. Here's the verse. When God's done, they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. I say that again. This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. If you can memorize more, here's the rest of it. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. When God gets done redeeming you, you will be better than you started. Almost all of our prayers for restoration are, Lord, please make it the way it was. But what a shame that would be. You don't want the same. While we have all the parts out, can we do an upgrade? Right? God, restore my marriage. You sure you want that dude back? I'm not married to him, but I don't even like him. I think you want a better version of him. Is that not true? Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a jerk. But that's the thing, right? That when God gets done with something, it's so much more beautiful than it started. That's what we're praying for. God is so good at saying, hey, I didn't tear you apart and let all this stuff happen to you to leave you like that. I've never wanted to leave you like that. I have a plan, and I'm really good at my plans. The final nine chapters of Ezekiel are one long vision. As a matter of fact, God gives Ezekiel an angelic guide, and he takes him on a tour of a brand new temple. A couple interesting things about this. The angel has a measuring rod, and he gets very exact about different measurements of this temple. Here's the problem with the temple. That temple's never built. It's not a temple that they would make. It wasn't the temple they made in, what, 70 years once they got in the new land. It's certainly not the temple that King Herod built a long time later. It was never built. It's, it even talks about, and there was water coming out from the front of it, which became a big old river, and on the side of the river, it had these trees, and the trees ended up having healing leaves on them, and you're like, wait a second, I've heard this before. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot of that in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the new Jerusalem, and the water is the, the river of life, and on the sides is the tree of life growing there for the healing of the nations. What he saw was not a temple to be built, but an internal temple of their hearts. He was designing and saying, I'm gonna do such an overhaul spiritually in the nation of Israel, they will be realigned with me like they always should have been. When he starts talking about them getting back in their land, he talks about the land allotment, but it's not the same allotment as before. There's no allowance beyond the River Jordan on the right side. It's actually a smaller place. But what's he doing? He's realigning it. Then he talks about where the tribes are going to be, the 12 tribes. And now he starts reconstituting them. He's moving them around. They're like, God, that's not where they go. He said it is now. You end up finding out it's reordered by certain promises and blessing, and it's reordered by having Judah, where Jesus came through that, closest to the temple, and you find this whole re-rack because the entire thing is one great metaphor of saying, and you will finally be with me the way I want you to be with me. What's the plan of all God's reworking of us? That we might be with him the way we were meant to be with him. Yeah, but God, I lost. I know, but you're with me now. Yeah, but Lord, I wanted 
I know, but you're with me now. And if you're with me, I can make up for all of that. What I think is so cool is God says, when you arrive in the new land, I want you to do this. He talks as if it's almost fact, but it hasn't happened yet. Is it possible that he has a plan for your life right now that he talks about as fact? You can't imagine how you're gonna get there. And he says, oh, I'll get you there. That's what I'm good at. How about you just walk with me? Series of yeses, we'll get there, right? God has a plan. There's hope. God knows how to get there, and nothing can stand in his way. Is that true? So here's how we're gonna close. There's some of us facing impossible. So we're gonna pray for that. As a matter of fact, there are some of us that can hear my voice. I'm not just talking about everybody in the room because I think that that's critical, and I'm gonna talk to you primarily. But I'm talking about everybody online. I'm talking about everybody that can hear my voice on the radio. I'm talking about everybody that hears my voice on podcast. There are some of us listening right now you have never had the cascading flood of forgiveness over your life. You have never said yes to Jesus. The Bible says, he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are some of us that are continuing to run our lives independently. I ask you again, what's your plan for the afterlife? You can't even run this one well. How are you gonna run that one? What I'm telling you is that you need Jesus. Amen? Amen? <clears throat> because what all the distractions, we just simply can't be good enough. I'm not telling you that you haven't tried. I'm not telling you you're not brilliant. I'm not telling you that you're not sweet. What I'm telling you is you need a savior because he's the only one that can dig down deep enough and renovate your spirit. You don't know how to change your spirit. He does. And what he does is he removes all that is wicked in us. He makes us children of God. He gives us a new identity. He allows us to be called by his name. It means that whatever you do forward after you've been healed from your sin, past, present, and future, that now you will always be a child of God. Whatever you do moving forward doesn't change your status as a child of God. It just simply means your God has to work with you more. And there is some of us that have yet to have that weight broken off. You're still dealing with the baggage. You're still hoping beyond hope you can get this thing figured out. But if what I talk to you about with the cleansing of Jesus, him dying on the cross for our sins, if it resonates with you, today is your day of salvation. And so that's the first group we're gonna pray for. After that, we're gonna be praying for those of us that just need a touch physically, those of us that need a touch emotionally, those of us that need a touch mentally. We're gonna be praying for miracles. Is that all right? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Let's pray. If you are right now hearing my voice and you said, I want to change my mind. I wanna repent from that which I have done from the way that I've led my life and I wanna give my life over to Jesus Christ that he would cleanse me in the deepest fashion. If I want to make a decision for Jesus right now, I want you to raise your hand. 
Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of us. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, pastor's talking about me. So right now, I fall at the foot of the cross, and I say, Lord, cleanse me everything, everything I've done, everything I've become. Would you just rinse it and make me who I was built to be? Lord, make me a child of God. Take out all that stands between you and I. Jesus, you are so loving to die for my sins that I might be cleansed, that I might be whole, that I might be real again. So God, would you make me your child right here, right now? Now. Lord, would you wash away all the yuck? Would you wash away all the baggage? Would you lift the weight off our shoulders? Would you allow us to be reconstituted, reconstructed, rebuilt in the name of Jesus into what we have always been called to be? Heal us right now. Father, save us right now. Cleanse us right now. Under the power of the cross, by the blood of Jesus, make us new. If you are currently facing something right now that the doctors cannot solve, therefore it is deemed impossible physically that you are going through and you seek freedom from that. Can you just raise your hand? Anybody going through something like that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of us. Jesus, in your word, it said that a woman who had given everything to the doctors and she wasn't any better. And she came and touched the hem of your robe and she was healed. God, you are here. Your robe hem is right here. We reach out and take it in the name of Jesus. Let your power flow into our bodies now. In your authority, in your power, I speak to our bodies right now. Bones be healed in the name of Jesus. Organs reconstitute in the name of Jesus. I'm talking about all toxicity be removed right now. No more cancer in the name of Jesus. Pain, inflammation as you are healed begin to dissipate. No more pain, no more inflammation if it is not necessary. Bodies, hear the voice of the Lord. And that is that you will come in alignment with God right now. He knows what you need. He knows what is right. So right now, we begin to say, Lord, would you begin to knit us together across our back, across our skin, be healed in the name of Jesus, down through our neck, be healed in the name of Jesus. All of the stuff going on in our brains, in our head, in our migraines, in our arthritis of our hands and our feet, be healed in the name of Jesus. God, we speak to all those organs, liver, pancreas, spleen, God, all of it. Hearts begin to pump, cleanse blood, cleanse blood, cleanse blood. Lungs be filled with peace, filled with air, filled with joy, filled with freedom in the name of Jesus. We bless your body in the name of Jesus. If you are currently facing something right now that is relational, something that is trauma-based, something that is PTSD, something that someone has wounded you, betrayal, rejection, and you can't seem to get over it, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a bunch of us. Yeah, okay, let's pray. God, we can't forget, but you can renew our minds. You can help our new memories eclipse our old memories. You can walk through the pain with us. You can redesign how we see things or change our perspective right now. Let us know that we are victors and not victims anymore.
That, Lord, that that which happened to us, you will not say is okay, but what man meant for evil, you are transforming it into good. And, Lord, you will use it as traction for us, as strength for us, as power for us, that we no longer see it as that which limits us, but that which expands us in the name of Jesus. That, Lord, that we are no longer hindered in our power, hindered in our peace, hindered in our joy, but, Lord, that we are set free in the name of Jesus. That all that betrayal, all that rejection, all the things that we keep playing the tapes, God, break the tapes, throw the tapes out. We don't need to keep playing them. It already happened once. We don't need to help Satan do his job. God, would you just allow that to become a distant memory that we are so healthy, so safe, so secure right now that we are no longer letting that dominate us. God, all PTSD be healed in the name of Jesus. The things that we've seen, the things that we've done, Lord Jesus, would you remake it? Put it in its proper place. You know how. It's impossible for doctors. It's possible for you. If anyone is here that is currently struggling with mental health issues, we're talking about deep anxiety, deep um, depression, if we're talking about schizophrenia, if we're talking about any of that kind of stuff, anybody struggling with mental health issues right now, raise your hand. Yep, okay, let's pray. God, cleanse our minds, cleanse our brains, remap our brains, rewire our brains, please. I just speak in the name of Jesus, and I say, brains, chemical levels be healed right now in Jesus' name. You have the serotonin you need, the dopamine you need, the chemicals you need, the stuff science hasn't even figured out. You have what you need if Jesus gives you what you need. So right now we are saying peace. I come against all depression in Jesus' name, all anxiety in Jesus' name, no more. This is a place where it's healthy enough to talk about it and a place where it can be healed. So we just say, yes, Lord, yes to your ways. God, for all the things that make our thoughts intrusive, the things that make our thoughts go wild, all the things from ADHD, ADD, all that stuff, God, we just pray, would you quiet our brains? Let us only hear your voice. Don't let something that is broken steal the peace you've given us. You said, Lord, you would bring into perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you. So we cling to you today. And so, Lord, we're gonna walk out of here and we're gonna f- go reinteract with a crazy world. But God, if we go out healthy, if we go out whole, if we go out with hope, if we go out with power, it's just a different ball game. So I just pray a blessing upon our family here, a blessing upon all that can hear my voice. Lord, let our laughter be light. Let our joy be full. Let our eyes ever bake on you. Let our spirits dwell with you, that we walk with our head up high and our shoulders back, that we have been set free. Lord, as the prayer team comes, would you anoint the front of the stage for a place of extra breakthrough? Prayer team, come on up here. That everything that has been stirred up in your spirit, if you need further breakthrough, let's handle it right here, right now. That's why the prayer team came for you. So God, we ask for a special anointing that heaven might invade earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray, 